So I want to welcome Nathan Cass. So a friend of mine, we haven't seen each other in a few years. We're, we're looking at each other on Zoom right now. And uh, things have changed a lot, Nathan, since uh, we met years ago, mate. So uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast, dude. Thanks very much for having me, man. It's uh, yeah, awesome to be on. I love listening to the podcast. Big fan myself. So uh, yeah. Appreciate it, man. You've been here and spending your time here. I know you've got little kids and that, but for listeners, Nathan, I mean, we've had a little bit of a conversation already and I know a bit of your background, but do you want to give uh, everyone an insight into where you are, who Nathan is? Yeah, sure. So I'm based in Melbourne. I have a few different sort of things that I work on. So main thing that I do is wedding videography. It's my business. It's Nathan Caso Weddings. I've been doing that for like five or six years now. And then I also do um, commercial video production which is just not, not something I sort of chase too much, but it's just, you know, stuff pops up and I've sort of been looking to get into that a bit more in the last couple of years. So that ranges from just like being a, a freelance camera operator to like running jobs myself and, you know, directing and producing and hiring crew. And yes, yeah, it's just a bit of a mix with that stuff. And then beginning of last year, I started a new little offering doing wedding photography, which is called Analog Modern. So it's, um, yeah, wedding photography all captured on analog film. So I'm yeah, I kind of hit pause on that when the pandemic started. It wasn't the best time to launch a business. And yeah, so I've just sort of thrown myself back into that this year and working on getting that going. So I want to jump in right into the whole analog thing, not to mention how amazing your videography skills are, dude. But yeah, like the analog modern was obviously something that really caught my attention when you when you started kind of promoting that or shooting a bit more on film and stuff. So really want to hone in on that like film photography and uh, your experience with it. Cause I know you're developing and alongside Atkins and stuff like that. But like, Nathan, I, I guess the question for me is like, why film? Why did you start this? I started shooting on film um, just for like my family photos. Like I've never really worked as a professional photographer. Like I've done bits and pieces, but I've really always worked in, in video. Like I've worked in commercial video productions since, I don't know, probably about 10 years now. So, but I would, I would always take pictures, like photography was a hobby of mine. It was a hobby before I did video and I obviously took lots of family photos since we, um, me and my wife had children and yeah, it was a few years ago, I just, I kind of wanted to do something different with those photos and I loved the idea of taking pictures that looked like my old childhood pictures, you know, just had the, the same kind of quality of those. Like I think you know, you dig out an old family photo album and you see those pictures taken from, you know, it's like 70s, 80s, 90s, all, all shot on film. And there's, you know, they've just got this amazing nostalgic quality to them. And I just kind of wanted to inject that feeling into my own family photos, uh, which is one of the things like uh, I do a lot of um, Super 8 film uh, for my wedding videos. And that was one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to do that. I wanted to make a wedding video that looked like what my parents generation of wedding videos looked like just to have that super nostalgic feel to them which i think film brings like just instantly so saw our, our good mate uh, aaron shum uh shooting on a i think it's like a canon 1n so it's just like a you know a pretty late model electronic 35 millimeter slr autofocus you know all the like pretty much like shooting on a 5d and he had you know his ef lenses on it i was like oh I got EF lenses. I could just like buy one of those and just start shooting film. So I did that. I just, I, yeah, I grabbed, I got a 1V off eBay for like 600 bucks, which is a bit of a steal. Chucked my lenses on it and just, uh, yeah, just started doing all my family pictures on film. And then, uh, long answer to a short question. No, nah, not at all, man. And then, uh, so that was a while back now. And then, 
like fast forwarding now to starting a business, shooting weddings on film, like how did the catalyst come to, uh, to starting a business? Yeah. So I, I started shooting the film about three years ago and pretty quickly went down a rabbit hole of doing my own scanning, learning to do black and white development and just wanting to really have control over the images and like sort of, I just slowly was, you know, acquiring stuff and learning all these new processes and then just sort of finding new projects to work on. It was all outside of any commercial stuff I was doing. And I had to shoot a, um, well, I had to, I was shooting a music festival for a friend of mine, Kate Berry, who runs this great music festival called OK Motels. And I wanted to go and uh, capture that on film. And I had no idea how I was going to shoot like bands playing in an old building at night with all their lighting <laughs> on. And I'm like, how am I going to do this on film? I've never used a speed light before. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. So I went and um, just second shot a couple of weddings just to get a bit of experience shooting in difficult lighting situations. Because that's the really tricky thing with film. Obviously, if you've got heaps of light then it's, you know, it's, it's quite easy to shoot on film. But once you get into low light situations, you can't dial up to 6,400 ISO. You can't, when you're sort of first learning it, you can't see what, you don't get that immediate playback like you do on a digital camera where you can go up, oh, too much flash, dial that down. So I went along to a few weddings with some wedding photographer friends of mine who were nice enough to let me sort of tag along and just have a bit of an experiment in the background. Did that and then shot the music festival and enjoyed all that. And then I just, I kind of found that I actually liked taking photos more than doing video i always enjoyed photography more than video like i feel like video is my work and i really love it as a job but i don't you know i don't want to make video projects i don't do video of my kids and stuff but photos i just like can't sort of stop myself i don't know if you get that feeling you know you just like you said it was like i have to photograph this thing you know it's just if you don't, you're disappointed. You think about it forever. I can still think of photos I missed years ago that I just like, I wish I'd taken, but it's like, if it was a video, I was like, I don't care. It's just, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I shot those weddings and I just sort of couldn't get them out of my head. And then I just, what if I just tried to actually do it as a, a business? Like I don't, I didn't think there was really, I mean, there a couple of people out there who are shooting weddings on film and probably a bit of a different look, like a bit more of like the people who've probably still been doing it from the early 2000s and doing great work. But have a bit of a different sort of aesthetic and approach. And there's obviously amazing people like Oli who shoot lots of film and, and shoot film at weddings, but don't necessarily do it exclusively. So I just kind of thought maybe there's a little gap there for me to sneak into, offer something a little bit different. But really, it's, I just want to do it because I just love doing it. It's just fun. So. And then, so how's it going now? I know you've shot multiple weddings now completely on film and your work's incredible and stuff, but like how long's the business been operating and you're obviously still shooting alongside doing video and stuff? Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I started it last year, but it didn't really go anywhere. Like I said, the pandemic kind of put the brakes on everything for all of us. So um, mm. I just kind of left it and, you know, got back to doing wedding videos at the start of this year and I still just wasn't sort of super keen to just do another season of, you know, 35, 40 wedding videos. I still love being involved in weddings, but just the process of doing video was just getting a bit, it's a bit repetitive and mm-hmm. not creative. And so, yeah, I've, I've really been pushing this year, um, just working on, I guess, brand awareness and just getting the business out there so that people actually know it exists. And yeah, getting a few, getting a few shoots under my belt and having a couple of features coming up, which will be good, hopefully just be able to keep kind of pushing it and slowly transition 
yeah, I don't have any sort of set plan as to like, um, don't want to do, I'm going to stop doing video at this date. And I'm going to only do stills like, obviously got a, a family that I <laughs> support sure. and bills to pay and stuff like that. And, you know, wedding weddings is, um, the video business is, you know, just working really well and I don't want to just switch it off, but um, yeah, slowly making transition. Going back a little bit, scanning and developing. I mean, I shoot film. I know a lot of photographers that shoot film and a lot of us have a hands-off approach on the whole scanning and developing thing. And just quickly for me, for the listener as well and for you, Southnath, I kind of sold all my film cameras because, and I want to see what your thought is on this. Last year, I was like, I had this analogy and I'm like, what's the point of me shooting film, not handling any of the process and just getting JPEGs back and not being happy with that? And I was like, look, it's just for me, I mean, I know there's an argument on this basis, but for me, I was like, what's the difference between me shooting a digital camera and not looking at the photos and seeing them in two weeks time as JPEGs? Now, I want to ask you, do you believe scanning and developing your own film helped you kind of generate that, I guess, the love for film more than just kind of shooting it and sending it off, if that makes sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, like I said, I'm a bit of a control freak with that kind of stuff, and I just kind of have to do it all myself. But I've learned so much from from doing it. Like you know, it's like anything. The more you, the more you do it, the more you learn. You make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You learn from all your mistakes. You work out better practices. But I think it's really difficult to learn anything about film if you're just sending stuff off to a lab and mm-hmm. you're not communicating with them a lot like and obviously not everyone is in a position to do that with film and some people don't want to like it's obviously just what the way i like to work Mm -hmm. some people love just shooting it sending the film off they get images back they're happy with the images they love how they look and it's like that's like that's awesome if that's Mm -hmm. what you want to do it makes your life a lot easier and you're sending it to professionals who know how to handle it all and get the result that you want then like and, you know, if we can't all have a dark room in our laundry and have film scanners and, and just spend the time, like it eats up so much of my time doing all this stuff. Mm. But for me, like I, as soon as I started, you know, I, I used a few different labs in Melbourne and, you know, you get any lab you go to, you get varying results. And like, I got some like, okay, like good results when I started, I was happy with them and then used some other labs and it was like, this is terrible. I don't know what's going mm-hmm. on with this. And then as soon as you start doing it yourself, you just, it just opens up this whole world, like just understanding how film works, like mm. what you're actually doing when you expose film and what is happening when it gets developed and what happens when it gets scanned. I just think unless you went in and spent a few hours talking to people who run a lab, like I don't think people really know mm. that. And if you're getting inconsistent results back from a lab, you just you can't find out where you're making mistakes, how to get better or change things. Mm. Like the one of the biggest things I hear, I talk to people about this is they say like, oh, my, my, I get scans back from the lab and they're so bright. And I'm like, I underexpose the image, but it still comes back bright. And I'm like, how bright your picture is, how bright your scan is, has nothing to do with how you've exposed the picture. Like nothing. And that like makes no sense mm. when you come from digital photography where you put your exposure up, and on the back of the camera, your picture's brighter and you put your exposure down and it gets darker and it's not what happens on film at all. Like it's just this, without getting in there and working on it yourself, 
finding out what you're doing, like what is actually happening to film when it's exposed to light and what happens to it when it goes to a scanner, what the scanner does, what the scanning software does. I, I don't know how you can really get very far with it mm. unless you're just doing it and it's coming back how you like. But it, it might be more from people who, you know, are just shooting film casually and stuff that, that have those kind of problems. But I, I do have those conversations a lot with people when I tell them I scan my own film and they're just like, oh, it just it doesn't come like, oh, it comes... They're just, yeah, it's all very inconsistent. So then tell me, Nathan, that you've got me stumped. So <laughs> you're sh- shooting under and your scans come back brighter. Why is that? All right. So what, So just with scanning, what happens? You're running film through a, a scanner. It scans the image. So basically just like taking a picture of the mm-hmm. image. It's just shining light through it using a, like a sensor. It takes a picture. If you just got that scan, that raw scan, put it into Photoshop. If it was color negative film, it'd be like red uh-huh. and it'd be inverted. Light bits are dark, dark bits are light. If you just hit invert in Photoshop, the picture would be blue and it would be super bright, like really washed out. Like it doesn't work at all. So what scanning software does, it does that and then it puts on a few like tone curves or adjustments or just like a preset, which balance out the color balance out the exposure and put a set amount of contrast into the image. And what it's doing is trying to just give you a print ready image. It's like high contrast, well balanced, and it just spits that out. You go, that's great. Print that. And I've got my finished image. I didn't have to do a whole lot of work to get it. But the problem is like anyone who uses Lightroom and gets a raw file and hits, goes to the adjustment or the, the dev panel and hits auto and you see what happens. <laughs> it just destroys your image. And you're like, what? has this done it, you know it's a bit of software and it's probably a bit of software that was written 20 years ago when these scanners were getting made and it's it's looking at the picture and it's just giving it's what it's trying to do when it lands how light or dark that picture is it is looking at the histogram right which is just like the layout yep. of the pixels mm-hmm. and it's just going okay so let's say you took a picture of a person against a black wall you expose it all correctly in camera and it's all fine. And you scan it. The scanner looks at it and goes, oh, that's a really dark picture, but yes. it brightened that up to make it balanced. So it brightens it up. Now, if when, the person who is control, like operating that scanner, they get that preview image and it's really bright and they can just go, oh, that looks too bright. I'll bring the correction down, yep. make that dark, save it out. And then you get your picture back. Cool, that looks good. If they don't do that, yes. they hit save and you get a picture that's really bright. And you're like, why is the picture bright? I didn't take it. I didn't overexpose this, but it looked, mm. my scan looks overexposed. But it's just because it's been, there's been no – the scan has taken its best bet at what it thinks it should look like, but the scan is not a person. Mm. And, it's, and the operator isn't you and doesn't know what you had in mind. So it's like the scanner's going to go, this is what I think it should look like. The operator then goes, well, that's fine, or oh, I think it should look like this. And then you get your picture back and – you know, who knows what you had in your mind when you took the picture, but there's a good chance that it's not what has come out of the end result. So does that work on the opposite spectrum if you're shooting overexposed, say a white wall person on at midday sun and you've kind of shot, I mean, the histogram is going to be on the other side. Would therefore the scanner try and balance it back to maybe a neutral or maybe a darker scan? Or yeah, not potentially. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty like I always find... I think there's heaps of consistency with mm. what the scanner spits out. Yeah. And any, any of these scanners, you know, the person who's doing the scanning goes through each image and they can, they make their, they make color corrections and they make what's called density correction, which is mm-hmm. just like the exposure of the, how bright and dark it is. 
but yeah, they're they're got they have to guess what you wanted. Yeah. And you know, guys like Atkins Lab in Adelaide are amazing because you can give them mm. like I've seen them doing their scanning, they do the two stage process and you can give them images, go, This is you know, this is my work. This is how I want my work to look. So when a scan comes through, I want you to do it like this. And they put those images up on a screen and they sit there and correct each image to look like that. Or you just go, I love this photographer. I love his tones. I want you to match that when you're correcting these images. But some labs will just just go like scan, save, scan, save, scan, yes. save. Just pump out the images exactly how the scanner sees them. And you get them back and you're like, oh, these are shit. I don't know what. <laughs> and you don't know why. Mm. And they don't tell you why. And they're not even doing a proper job of correcting it. So how, like. How are you going to get a good picture out of that? It's so true, man. And then you lose interest because you're just like, I'm terrible, right? I'll just shoot yeah, digital. And, and so people much say that. it's like, oh, film's so hit and miss. Mm. It's like, no, it's not. Film is so unbelievably consistent. Yeah. Like I put a roll of film on my camera. I know exactly what it's going to do. I don't need to see it on the back of the camera. And it's just because I've shot so much of it. Yeah. And I just shoot the same like, you know, three film stocks over and over and over. But I know exactly what they're going to do. And I, I don't know how my scan is going to interpret it when it does its preview, but that doesn't matter because I know where I want it to be. I know if I've exposed it the way I need to expose it to get my picture right, then once I've got it in there, I just, you know, I get it set. So, so are you scanning all your own negatives and are you getting them developed by Atkins and then scanning yourself or are you kind of, I mean, I know you have a great relationship with Atkins. So how does that work for you now? Yeah. So I do all my black and white stuff I do myself. So I develop that at home. Um, black and white's really easy to develop yourself. It's a bit time consuming, but uh, really easy to do at home. So I do that and I do all my own scanning of all my film. I send all my color negative film to um, Atkins or I use it. There's another um, great lab in Melbourne that I use as well called Work in Process, which is really good. Color, I have tried doing color neg development at home. You can get kits for it now that Cine still make. Okay. And they're really good, but it's like the level of like sort of calibration required to get mm. really like get your colors exactly right with color is so hard to do. And it's just like, you got to have it, you got to have your temperatures at, th- you know, it's got to be at 39 degrees, which is quite hot to be trying to maintain your chemicals. And it's just not exact. And like color negative film is such an exact kind of science and it's pretty cheap to get done really. Like it costs more to get black and white done because it's manual process. Color negative film isn't, it's, you know, it's going through some kind of machine whether it's like the dip and dunk machine they use at Atkins or like a, the mini lab kind of developers that um, the smaller labs use. Like it's a machine doing it. It's all done to exact timers with exact temperatures to get the color exactly right. So yeah, I, I, I gave that a go, but I gave up on it pretty quick because the color looked weird and the shadows mm-hmm. looked weird. And I just was like, why am I it's stressful? For sure. But yeah, black and white's really easy. You're just kind of in the laundry, having a beer. <laughs> the temperature, you know, it's like you can be off a little bit. It doesn't matter too much. Your development time, if you're off a little bit, like none of it yep. has to be too exact. And it's a good way to experiment with, you know, different looks and, and things like that. So so I know a question um, I'm going to be asked as well as like the camera equipment that you currently use for weddings. Yeah. Can you explain that and, and why you chose that equipment? Yeah. So I've got two... Canon 1V bodies, which was like the last of the um, Canon one line in 35 mil mm-hmm. film cameras. So it basically just looks like a 5D, but the back opens up and you put film in it and it doesn't have a screen. Mm-hmm. So it's got like the same autofocus, I think it's like a 5D Mark II, which for the time, you know, like 
it's a bit dated now. It's not eye autofocus <laughs> tracking, but it was like, you know, considering most film cameras are manual focus or sure. if, the auto, if they have autofocus, it's terrible. Like it's amazing. It ha, you know, you could, it just has all the metering and um, drive modes and everything. So it's just like shooting on a, a modern DSLR, which is just really good because, you know, you, you shoot a wedding and you just need to be fast and reactive and, you, you know, you don't have time for necessarily to use a, a manual camera. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I love those and they take my, you know, my new Canon lenses that I have. So I usually just run, run two of those, one with color, one with black and white and, you know, like 35 and 50 and 24. And what about film stocks in them? So for, for lenses. So usually one will be Tri-X or T-Max. I've been shooting a little bit of Kodak T-Max lately, which is interesting. I think I still like Tri-X better. It's just like that classic kind of um, black and white look, you know, it's... Um, like they've been making Kodak's been making that film stock since think, like 1960, and it oh, hasn't wow. changed. So yeah. it's just, and you know, all the old street photographers used to yep. try. Like it's just, it's just like tried and true, and just has that um, beautiful kind of almost old world kind of look. Mm-hmm. T Max is a bit more modern, uh, lower contrast, uh, a lot of shadow detail, a little bit sharper, but still really nice. And I find if I put it through the developer that I, because the developer that you use, like the chemical makes a big difference too to how the film looks. Okay. Like there is a T-Max developer that you can use with wow. T-Max film. Gives you heaps of detail, very sharp, lots of shadow detail. Comes out very flat, a bit more of a modern look, I guess. Like still mm-hmm. looks like film. Uh, but then if I use HC-110, which is an older Kodak developer, which I use for Tri-X, I find the picture looks a bit more, well, I like the word vintage, but it just has a bit more of a classic film look, I guess. So yeah, I'll have one of those two black and white stocks in one i'd have portrait 800 in the other one because it's just i love i think portrait 800 looks beautiful it's that really nice grain a little bit more like you get that extra stop of speed which is just really important for films you know shooting in low light one stop makes a big Mm -hmm. difference and then i'll have my hasselblad 500 cm which i just like to do just like really sort of classic style portraits on it's obviously pretty slow camera to use like you gotta really stop and and compose and have someone stay very still for it and I'll same thing. I'll just run Porsche to 400 in that and uh, Tri-X. And um, the great thing with that camera is you can remove the film back. Mm-hmm. So you can actually have, you know, you can have a roll of color in one film back and a roll of black and white in the other one. And you put the dark slide in and you can take the back off the camera, put the other back on and keep shooting. You don't have to go, oh, I want black and white, but I got to finish this roll. Yep. Yeah. It's just really functional camera to use. In that sense, I think it was like a lot of wedding photographers used that back in the day, like mm. right to like sort of seventies, eighties, nineties. Even um, I've seen like wedding videos from like the late nineties, and you can see the photographer popping up in there, and he's got a five, <laughs> you know, got a Hasselblad five hundred series. So, and, and what lens are on them? Is that like an eighty? Uh, yeah, or? I've got the eight, uh, the eighty two point eight, which is really nice and it's small and pretty light, and it's just really it's beautiful it's like sharp but it's sort of you you open up the aperture and you just get those nice sort of soft glowing highlights it's not sort of like overly sharp yep i don't really care about sharpness sharpness is like a Mm, for sure that's another that's another discussion but um it it doesn't look like a modern lens yep so i have that and i also have 80 i've got the 50 mil which is like a wide angle so 80 is like equivalent to like a 50 mil on a full frame camera yep because the um, medium format, you know, your, your um, sort of sensor size, like the film size is bigger. So, yes. yeah, 80mm is just like a normal lens. Uh, and then the 50 is more like a, 
reckon it's about a 30. Yep. So quite wide, uh, not super wide, but quite wide. And the perspective looks different in those cameras, you know, because you're looking through a bigger sensor, like and it's, it's a wide lens, but it's still 50 mil. Like it just, it doesn't look the same, but um, yeah, it's a 50 mil F4 and yeah, take the, it's a really nice lens to take a nice sort of wide scene. I love shooting um, just like a portrait of someone in a room, like having them quite small in it um, on that lens. It just looks really nice. So you're shooting most portraits on, on your medium format? Yeah, I, it took me a while to start shooting people on that camera because it, yep. it is quite slow. And But I, I just love like something about square format. I just think it looks so good. It's quite a timeless kind of thing. And I mean, you can crop anything to square. Mm. But I think when you're actually shooting square and you're looking through the viewfinder at a square frame, like you just, you know, you, it changes your composition so much. And what I find what works in that is so different to what works in like a two, three frame mm. with a 50 mil on like 35 millimeter film. And whenever I, like, I, I just, I obviously like crop my photos in, you know, in Lightroom when I'm just to yep. like twig them and stuff, but I always keep the ratio the same. But um, yeah, I just, I hate cropping to different, like when you put something on Instagram, you mm. know, it's like, I'll make this a square so it's a bit bigger. You know, you cut the sides off it if it's landscape and I just hate it. I'm like, yeah. So when I'm shooting squares, it just makes you think about it a lot differently. So I think um, all the different ratios of medium format, you know, they really offer, it's not just about, um, oh, i got a bigger sensor and oh, i got a bit more room on this one, 6.7 six, or 6.6. Six, six, it's all mm-hmm. kind of the same. Like I really think they lend themselves to different approaches with composition and I, and I just love squares. I just think that they look really great mm. um, and I love the, the compositions you can do. There's um, this amazing photographer. Do you know Slim Aaron's? You heard of him? No, no. It's this amazing old. It was he started shooting after I think it was World War Two, and he he shoots all these. Um, his thing was he wants to shoot. It was like beautiful people doing beautiful things in beautiful places or something like that. He would just shoot like the sort of rich and famous and elite, yeah, and like celebrities in like from like basically like the fifties right through to like oh, I don't know maybe he's even still shooting in the nineties or something. Like he worked his whole life as a working photographer shooting for um one of the major sort of magazine publications in the States. I can't remember which one, not Vogue, but some someone. Anyway, but he he's just took all these beautiful old portraits and it was always women. He was just he loved photographing women. And there's all these um amazing, you know, shots, like these square format shots that he used to take. And you just look at his composition, it's so much different depending on the ratio that he was shooting in. Mm-hmm. It seemed to have a really good understanding of like of all composition, but also how it changed with the different ratio. So I think I've gone a bit off topic, but like, yeah, choosing a choosing a medium format camera where there are different ratios, like you don't get that with 35 mil. It's all exactly. just three, two, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, there's, there's a lot to it with medium format. So, so Nathan, I want to, I want to travel back a little bit now from memory, man, you went over to the States or somewhere like that and you did a bit of travel and I've, I've purchased one of your prints and have it uh, in my home, which I, yeah, I love so much. I don't know if it was America or wherever, but I know this was a little while ago. Can you run me through that? And was that like a catalyst for, I guess, sparking your creativity more or, or what was the reason for that type of trip? Am I on the right page? You did yeah, do a yeah. trip, yeah? Yeah, I did that. It was just before COVID set in. Okay. It was pretty great. Like flying, flying to California. Yeah, I went to California for a week. I just like had a really hectic year, but business and just everything. I was just, and I was just really burnt out. And mm. I'd been working on like, 
a lot of photography projects shooting film and like investing money in all these sort of processes and buying scanners and it was still just still kind of like for fun and I just wanted to do something like I'd plan I'd plan to do it and maybe like have some kind of exhibition which you know COVID kind of put a stop to Mm -hmm. but yeah I think I just wanted I just kind of wanted to get out a bit and like prove that I could do it maybe a bit to myself as well as as much as anything so yeah I just spent like six days driving around California desert just going to all these little funny towns with old motels and yeah, like just closed, closed down restaurants and all these just fun, like gun shops and <laughs> just doing just some old, I guess, old style street landscape photography of it. And did you go solo? Yeah, I just went by myself. And in the, in the end, it was really just like it, all it ended up. Like I, I did put um, make a print store and and I had a bunch of people like yourself who were nice enough to <laughs> to buy something kind of. Um, you know support me for sure especially during um you know during covid when we all lost our income mm-hmm. but um yeah i think more than anything it was just a good chance to step away from anything i was doing just you know do something i really enjoyed for fun and and just you know learn a lot like you i just think you just got to keep shooting you know the more you shoot the more you like every time you shoot something you learn something new so yeah i had i had grand plans for it all which didn't really come to fruition but i think I just really enjoyed the experience. I really liked the photos I took and, you know, that kind of just led into other projects I was doing and just developing the kind of look that I have with my mm. photos as well. So what an awesome way to, um, yeah, like just step outside. Hey, like you said, I mean, when I yeah. see those photos coming up, man, I was like, what? Like, this is yeah. awesome to see this. I mean, we were speaking about John Gazzagnato earlier and I remember him going to like Africa for like six weeks and he just took like a, I don't know, it's 24 mil like film camera or digital. I don't know what it was, but he was like, man, that was like the spark and creativity I needed to step away from my business and just like shoot and shoot and just like, yeah, take the pressure off myself and, and explore these things as well. Right. Like I, when you, when you're talking to him about this US trip it brings up like William Eggleston and like his books. And like, when I see, I, I forget which one of the books I've got. But yeah, I think he, from memory, he like traveled across the States and like met other photographers on the road and like, yeah, photographed in old motels, like the simple basic things. And I was speaking to Cy more about, I, I like looked at his work and I was like, man, I don't fucking get it. Like, why is there bacon and eggs on a plate? And it's just <laughs> like a flat lay. I don't get why this is art. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, and um, And then I was like sitting down and I came up with my own analogy, which was like, the simple things like maybe having the analogy of photographing something in time for the future, like the simplest bacon and eggs on a plate may not be what's happening in 2020. He may have thought. So it's like, shit, I might photograph this. People might look back at this and be like, "Whoa, look at this old TV in the corner of a room with like retro velvet lounges. Yeah. Anyway, I, I look back at that and I'm like, man, I wonder what his thought process was. Cause some of the photos are yeah, a little bit obscured and, and uh, I'm not yeah. too sure. <laughs> I know what you mean. And I love, um, like I'm a huge fan of um, Stephen Shaw. Yeah. I've just kind of copied his approach a bit with like landscape photos. He did these amazing street photos in the 70s and people are still, well, like me, you know, still like trying to copy that style now. Mm. And yeah, he did the same thing. There's there's my favorite photo, one of my favorite photos in his book, um, Uncommon Places, is a picture of a, um, I think it's a stack of pancakes in yeah, a restaurant. I know <laughs> it's like a glass of milk. Yeah. And, you know, the old like 70s style um, tablecloth and stuff like that. 
And um, like one, of, I know one of the things he was doing at that time was photographing every meal he took wow. and every <laughs> hotel he, st- every motel he stayed in, and and doing all these other sort of street scenes and a few portraits, and then it all just sort of took that and made you know eventually made this book out of it. But yeah, I think like in one way, like in one way, he's quite ahead of his time because it's like what mm. people were doing for Instagram now, and he was That's doing it right. in the seventies, and he was doing it with an eight by ten camera, must, <laughs> you know, those giant <laughs> things that are bigger than your head. He must have looked like an absolute maniac. <laughs> imagine these, taking that in, out for lunch these days, in, in, taking like a middle, photo. You know, imagine him in, being in middle America in this little bar, in a little diner, with and an a guy orders pancakes, <laughs> and he gets out this huge camera, spends half an up. hour, take yeah. <laughs> But it's a really good point you make that it's like photos aren't just for now. Mm. Like everyone, you know, like social media and everyone having cameras on them at any any point and unlimited storage yes. on those cameras. Uh, everyone just, you know, and it's like photos have become like just for this one second and mm. then like the, they're, they're on your feed and then they're gone and they're just forgotten about. And I'm like photos, like, I mean, photography is just so important for so many different reasons, so family or weddings or document, you know, like mm. news, like all kinds of things. And it's like the best investment ever because it will only gain value with time. Mm. And I think about that so much now. It's like you take a picture, you're not just taking this to show someone what your wedding looked like tomorrow or put on Instagram. You're not just taking a picture to mm. go, you know, send, uh, taking a picture of your kids to send to your your wife who's at work or something. It's like you're taking this picture and you're going to have it forever. You're taking this picture. Like I take a picture of my kids and like maybe their grandkids one day will see that picture or that like mm. I might be gone and that picture's still here of them at that time. And it's like how va- like that picture's valuable now. It's like, oh, it's a cute picture of my kids. I got a nice one, you know, put that in the album. And it's like that's valuable to me now. But how valuable is that picture in a hundred mm. years when, you know, when my kids have passed, like, and everyone's gone, that picture ha- is like everything. And I just think like a lot of me wants to take that approach into wedding photos and just think about, or any, fo- like, I, I mean, I think about so much with my family photos, but like what is important on these days? Like, why are we taking these pictures? And like, why are we taking so many pictures? Mm. Why does a couple need a thousand pictures of their wedding day? You know, like concentrate on, on getting ones that are, you know, going to stay, like become like family heirlooms that are just going to get, you know, cherished and treasured forever. You know, I think we can think about that when we take a picture of anything for any reason, like what is this photo's life beyond just this moment it's like i like this scene this looks cool i got a frame click like that's great but it's like where's that gonna live where's it gonna end up dude i'm with you all on this when i was teaching down in tassie a couple of weeks ago i was talking about like having a default so like a lot of us enter a scene and before i'd start questioning myself i'd enter into a wedding and i'd have a default you know the dress goes here the flat layer goes here this is what happens and like until i started questioning like why the hell is this happening? Like, and obviously a lot of us photographers are conditioning the market for people to expect this off Pinterest and Instagram. The more they see, the more style shoots get done, the more they expect things to look in a certain way. It's not pushing back. But I always say like when I was teaching was like, question it. Like I always say to a couple, hey, do you need me to hang that dress? Like, do you want me to? And it's not like, oh, I don't believe in it, but I'm going to question it. Like, 
instead of walking into a scene and just going dress window boom photo like yeah and, and it's so funny the more i ask the more people go oh nah like don't worry about that just stay in here like grandma's coming in and i'm just like yes yeah. like because that many yeah. times we'd be doing defaults and mm. like you'd be hearing laughs in the other room and it's just like for yeah. me it was like separating my soul from my body i'm just like what the fuck am i doing like yeah. why am i doing this you know yeah. um, and it, you, you're right Nath. like it, it is a hard one because we all probably have a similar analogy which is exactly like where are these photos lasting if you have depth and your creativity but it's like the more people see on the the output, Instagram, social media, the less they're probably aware of of things like we are when we're trying to create. But I think you just got to be true to yourself. I think that's a beautiful way to um to finish it off, Nath. Like a uh, man, like it's been an absolute honor to have you, dude. Like obviously link out to everything you've spoken about. Like I've I've been really really keen to have a chat to you, man, since um Analog Modern started and every time I see your work, man, I'm inspired because I'm just like, this dude is doing film, like solely exclusively film weddings. Like I don't, I mean, I've shot a few, but I don't know anything more stressful. And I know you probably handle it pretty well now, but um, yeah, I'll link out to everything. Nathan Casso um, for your videography and um, analog modern and all that. And um, is that the best place for everyone to hit you up, mate? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Instagram analog underscore modern just punch Nathan Queso into something you'll find something I've done somewhere I guess um, so I'm kind of floating around but yeah thanks yeah thanks so much for having me on dude like uh, like I said I'm a big a big fan of the podcast and uh, yeah it's just not nice to nice to see your face again <laughs> it's been a while mate hopefully COVID cools down a little bit so you can get down to Melbourne and yeah we'd love you to uh, yeah, to, yeah to tee up a family photo shoot on film man that'd be really special I'd love to man 